Welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where we bring you the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything to do with the Pilates industry to help you build your dreams and your businesses right now. Hello everyone, it's Glenn Withers here once again, founder of APPI and host of Pilates 101. So I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, you know, things here in the UK are progressing on. It looks like sort of, from our point of view anyway, uh, studios are up and running and people coming back. We're certainly seeing um, quite an increased demand for our reformer classes and our one-to-one sessions building back up, which is great to see. I am interested, in all honesty, to hear from you guys out there how things are going for you. Um, Has there been any behavior change that you have seen in what your clients are wanting in your your clinics, in your Pilates studios, in your centers, in your working environments? Because it seems to us that there's quite a shift into an increased demand for the use of the larger equipment versus sort of mat classes um, that was uh, there sort of pre-pandemic. But keen to hear from you guys, honestly. Um, send us in any sort of um, ideas you have, thoughts you have, any trends or changes in behaviour of your clients that you might have seen as people have come out of lockdown and heading back towards uh, whatever this new normal is. Because it's certainly not normal, but it's a new normal and I'm very, very thankful for what we have. Um, a big shout out to those... Uh, in the Southern Hemisphere who have been sort of fighting continued lockdowns over the last uh, several months slash years. Um, to, uh, to my friends and family back in Australia, I'm delighted to see things are starting to open up there. I hope that continues and we can get some form of predictable behaviour out there, huh? Um, okay, on to uh, this month's podcast. Because this is a big month for us here at APPI, it's our conference month. So coming up, um, 2021st of November is our big uh, virtual conference. The platform's being designed, the goodie boxes are being sent out. Um, it's going to be a spectacular event. We're super, super excited by it. So if there are any of you out there that have not booked your slot, on our conference, please go to the website, appihealthgroup.com, click on conference at the top bar there and have a look at the sessions on offer. Um, it, it truly is an amazing lineup that we have going for you. And with this new bespoke, all, uh, you know, all singing, all dancing platform, we're really confident you're going to have a great experience as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but look, the point of the podcast for this month is to continue to sort of investigate the ideas and the concepts around menopause and sort of women's pelvic health. It's an increasing interest area within our industry. We're seeing an increased demand for this sort of education and information. Um, Our menopause course has uh, has become sort of our fastest selling course that we've ever had out there. So it's, it's great. And it has led on to, you might have seen the announcement that we're creating, created a full um, women's health Pilates certification, which covers anti and postnatal Pilates, covers menopause Pilates, um, it covers pelvic floor specific courses that are coming out. And we're working with our amazing team of women's health master trainers to develop additional modules for that as well. Um, So there's some really, really interesting things happening and we're really excited and we'll be bringing more and more throughout 2022 to you on that side. But uh, today we have a fantastic interview with Pippa Carter. Uh, Pippa Carter is a physiotherapist. She is a 
Pilates uh, certified teacher. She is an APPI presenter. She is a specialist in pelvic health, um, works in a clinical specialty role within uh, this environment, as well as running her own Pilates and physio business alongside her husband, as you will uh, hear in the podcast. So guys, um, please uh, enjoy the podcast. Uh, it, it cuts out briefly at the end there. I apologize for that, but uh, it's just um, uh, a few little last bits of information that I will update you personally after you listen to the interview. So here we go, guys. Pippa Carter uh, talking about Pilates and menopause. All right, guys. So as promised, I've got a Pippa Carter here with me. Uh, Pitta Pippa is one of our uh, physio and Pilates presenters with the APPI and is the brains and the person and the personality behind our Pilates for Menopause course, which has been um, of huge interest to everyone. And uh, we've just run the first one of these, which uh, had amazing feedback. So it, uh, it, it seemed appropriate for us to get Pippa onto the podcast and have a little bit more of a chat to Pippa about who she is and how Pilates came into her life and then we will get on to the the concept of menopause so first of all Pippa welcome to Pilates 101 it's lovely to have you here hi Glenn thank you very much for asking me to join you for this podcast yeah it's, it's, lovely a, to be here. it's our pleasure it's our pleasure well Pippa you've probably listened to these podcasts in the in the past you know we get a bit more information about you as a person to start with so why don't you give us that sort of elevator summary so to speak of uh of who you are um your background where you studied uh how your sort of early part of your career went yeah so um i'm a physio by background so i qualified in 2008 from salford university um i think i was always destined to go into physio my mum's a physio and um, oh. so i sort of followed her path if you like my dad's also a sports consultant so yeah, I think it was very much ingrained into me from an early age that I might go down that route. Um, so yeah, qualified 2008 physio and then um, started working. I did my sort of, you know, my standard NHS rotations, got my experience up and then sort of from that wanted to delve a little bit more into sort of a speciality. So um, my background is that I've always done a lot of dancing. So I then went and did my master's in sports physiotherapy at Cardiff Uni which I completed then in 2012. Um, and then following on from that, I um, went and worked with um, the West End um, theatre companies um, as a physio. Um, and that's really when then I started doing my Pilates training as well. So I, I did my Pilates training um, with APPI in 2013. Um, just because I thought it would really complement the population group that I was working with at the time, and, and it did, and it was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, worked in sort of um, the dance world for quite a while, um, but then also took a role. I was commuting, actually, at the time, living in Birmingham and commuting to London, and um, took a role then in a private hospital as a highly specialist musculoskeletal physio, um, and that's where I really then sort of was had the ability to set up more of my Pilates classes and then started sort of developing my Pilates classes in the private hospital setting. Um, 
And then, yeah, work's taken me all over the place. And then now I'm based in a private hospital in Cardiff. And about five years ago, started then to work much more predominantly in pelvic health. Um, and now I lead the pelvic health um, physiotherapy service at Spire Cardiff Hospital. But I also run my own um, Pilates and physio business with my husband in Bridgend, where we live. Um, so, which is about half an hour from Cardiff. Um, and, and yeah, that's it, really. <laughs> okay, wow. Okay, so I, I think you're the first person I've interviewed where the parents were uh, in, in this field so much as well, with your mum being a physio. You run a yeah. business with your husband husband uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i've got experience of of that as well and yeah <laughs> is, he, uh, <laughs> is he a physio or does he just help run the business or what's the setup there yeah. so he's he's a physiotherapist and um, his background is he was a professional rugby player oh, wow. um, for 16 years um but he's always done physio alongside that so he works very um, predominantly within sports physiotherapy um, and, you know, in, in quite high levels within Welsh sport. Um, so he's currently working with the Welsh Institute of Sport, but before that he was uh, the head of rehabilitation for Ospreys Rugby, okay. but he's now working with the Welsh Rugby Union under-20s squad as well. So he's wow. rugby, rugby dominant. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. It has nothing to do with this podcast, but I find that very interesting. My, we've uh, recently relocated out of out of London up to the countryside, and um, uh, are experiencing the big shift from football to rugby. And obviously, with, yes. with four boys, um, you know, Elisa and I are, are somewhat concerned about the physical impact of rugby. So, we might have to have another podcast down the track. We can get your dad on. We can get your mum on. We can get you on. We can get your <laughs> husband on, well, and we can have yeah, a we can have my, a, um, a, a podcast on concussion or the effects of, of head injuries in in rugby or something along. That's very topical. My um, my dad is the. Um, his role now is he's the lead head injury reviewer oh. for all of the international and premiership rugby games. So yeah. that's his actual role. Yes. <laughs> well, there you go. We might have to do that. Yes, because I, I read some interesting, uh, interesting comments in the Times this morning about some some rugby players that uh, maybe uh, taking some legal yeah. action in that in that road. And I, I um, went to a concussion forum in the states many years ago in relation to yeah. American football. Um, so very yeah. interesting, but nothing to do with menopause. So let's get back. No. Um, <laughs> let, let's get back to to why, why we're actually talking about today. Um, you touched on towards the end of that summary there that you've obviously had a, a shift across from sort of the arts world, if you like, across towards yeah. pelvic health, and then yes. you know that's developed. And you know that the timings that you're talking about they almost coincide with this rapid sort of interest if you like within pelvic health and, and women's health what was it for you yeah. that made you sort of switch your focus or what in, interested you on that side well I think I've always been interested in it from a Pilates aspect because obviously it's such a big focus you know with the pelvic floor cueing and, and sort of that sort of central system work but never really delved into it from a women's health point of view in my physio practice and um, mainly I think because or, you know, as a younger physio, you're a little bit nervous about that area and, you know, maybe it's not something you want to sort of delve into too much. But actually, the, the thing that then 
made me much more interested in it was actually having my first daughter and um, so you know going through pregnancy and then having a baby and, and just seeing the effect you know I was um, fortunate I had a really lovely pregnancy with both of my children and you know um, lovely deliveries but even that it, it knocked me you know and it, it took some time to recover and and I you know especially as a Pilates instructor as well you do feel that sort of physical demand maybe to go back and teach reasonably quickly or you know be doing things again and I think um that really then sparked my interest into look into it a little bit more um, and gave me maybe the confidence to you know work with women um, a bit more as well you know once you've been through that you're a little bit more willing to sort of talk about things more open and um yeah it, it does give you more confidence as well so that's kind of how I shifted into it really and then it just so happened that there was a um, kind of a shift within our sort of department and there was then the opportunity to take on the role as the pelvic health lead and and that sort of again it just all fell into place as you say <laughs> yeah yeah well interesting uh, it, it's fascinating for me obviously um because obviously the, the the women's health world is not my world um but <laughs> having you know we have five children and seeing elisa go through uh the four four pregnancies um obviously the twins on the the last one there and the differences for her in relation to baby number one versus you know babies four and five as, as well and um you know the the uh changes that the body goes through during pregnancy and then yeah. the ability for that recovery to happen in the most part and, and i guess that's very different for everyone but certainly you know, just seeing the way that the body can change and evolve and accommodate and then and then recover. Um, it is truly fascinating. And I, I often wonder how uh, within the world of pelvic health and women's health, how powerful or impactful do you think it is having been through the experience yourself in order to work with others? I think it does give you a, a deeper insight I, I guess and the thing to remember as well is that everybody's pregnancy everybody's birth is different um and same with menopause as well everybody's menopause is different so it's a very individual process and it definitely does give you insight and it gives you empathy um with you know your patients and your clients um but i, I don't think it's 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 not necessary but for me it definitely gave me more confidence um and and uh, yeah once you've been through a pregnancy and a delivery it does make you more open as well and, and sort of willing to discuss things that maybe you would shy away from before um as yeah. well so yeah it definitely helped me okay yeah for sure well look what i'd like to do on a on a uh, podcast like this as well we have people listening to the podcast all over the world and we have you know, both males and females listening to the podcast, people that are very interested in the particular topic that we're talking about and others that listen month on month for their own interest and their own sort of evolvement, whether it's a particular topic that they're focused on or not. So I'd like to just take a, a, a small step back if we could and just, if you could just really, I guess, explain menopause to us and, you know, what time in life menopause usually happens, what menopause actually means, 
um, in the broader scheme of things, its incidents, and, and that sort of summary around the menopause itself? Yeah, of course. So, you know, the, the average age of menopause in the UK is 51. Um, so, you know, that is really quite young in relative terms. Um, you know, average life expectancy in the UK is 88, 82. So, you know, 51, is, it's a midlife problem, isn't it? I think it, it's been previously seen as this sort of end of life problem or latter stage of life, but really it's a midlife um thing that will happen and, and something that we really do need to be aware of and, and what actually happens with menopause is basically it's the cessation of your um you know your menstrual cycle um, and that happens as a result of ovarian failure so you know your ovaries become gradually less stimulated over time and then they stop producing those hormones um that they they work to produce so the three main hormones that are produced in the ovaries are your um estrogen progesterone and testosterone um and they are stimulated by your um fsh and your lh um uh hormones so basically they're producing the pituitary gland and so what happens is gradually over time there's sort of less stimulation then there's ovarian failure and and then your ovaries in effect just stop working and then that's when you go through the menopause then so your your monthly cycle then stops because you're not producing those hormones and now the incidence of menopause or the people experiencing menopause in the uk at this current point who are either perimenopausal or postmenopausal is around 13 million i think um is is the the average figure that i was looking at um and 82 percent of those women will experience symptoms um you know so it's a very high incidence mm. of people that will be experiencing symptoms related to the menopause um so you know it, and i think really it, it was one of those things that was never talked about and and you know i'm guilty of it my understanding of menopause before i sort of delved into all of this was oh you'll just have some hot flushes and then that's it you'll be back to normal and everything will be fine and it'll be great because your periods have stopped happy days um <laughs> but really that's not the case and um, and i think and it is amazing now because there's so much more education around it and more information but so many of the women I treat, I explain the certain things that are happening in their bodies and they don't, they have no idea that these things are going to happen or are happening. Um, and that there are actually things that we can do to be prepared and plan to make sure that it's a positive thing in our lives. Um, and, and yes, there will be symptoms associated with it and there will be, you know, um, things that you experience and that occur, but there are things that can be done to help women and as I say to then shift it to this maybe more of a positive phase of life um, as opposed to it maybe being a negative experience which unfortunately is what a lot of women um, do experience. Yeah because I guess it has that it has that connotation with it still doesn't it I mean you, if I'm talking for myself who am not educated yeah. in menopause and, and what it means and what happens you, you certainly the assumption is that it, it, it's not such a positive thing so Let's talk about that then, because I find that really fascinating. Let, if we can start with what are those um, symptoms beside the hot flushes in, in the evenings that m might, people yeah. might need to be aware of? But yeah, but, and that's the thing. There's so many far-reaching symptoms of perimenopause or postmenopause. Um, you know, so 
the main symptoms that you, you can get can be categorized into different things. So you can have the sort of physiological symptoms. So you might get things like hair loss, brittle nails, um, skin changes. You can have pelvic floor dysfunction. So all of the, the urogyny symptoms that come with that. So you might have incontinence, prolapse, uh, recurrent UTIs. Um, then you can get the sort of psychological symptoms so the mood changes anxiety depression and you can get sort of gut problems so problems with digestion constipation and and then on top of that then the vasomotor symptoms which are you say your hot flushes or your night sweats um as well and so yeah and, and that's just a very simple list you know it goes on and on and there's so many other things that you know people maybe don't think are related to sort of perimenopause but actually then possibly could be um as well okay gosh all right so let's take those symptoms then and you you yeah. said that there are way things that we can do to prepare ourselves for some of yeah. these symptoms what what would that be uh, in a general sense of course without going too much yeah so obviously i think education is one of the biggest things so education and information so we know that knowledge is power so if women are informed then they're empowered to be aware of those symptoms so then maybe seek help sooner rather than leave it and then and not seek help um, so that's one of the biggest thing is being prepared is educating yourselves and, and you know getting as much knowledge as possible so that then you can be aware of those symptoms and know where to seek help if that if you do then start to experience those symptoms and then really it's lifestyle changes and um, so you know all the things that we know we maybe should do but never have the time to do or, or kind of you know life gets busy but exercise is such a huge part of this and being you know in a good um sort of state of fitness can really then help to prepare you for the perimenopause and the menopause so you know our bone health and our muscle strength are so important so the longer lasting effects of you know a reduction of estrogen so once you've finished you know your menopause and you've you've basically post menopause is classed as somebody who is not had a period for 12 months then you're classed as post-menopausal then when you're living with that permanent hormone deficiency it's going to have a knock-on effect on your bone health on your muscular strength on your cardiovascular systems so therefore you need to be in a good position going into perimenopause so that then you can maintain that as you go into that hormone deficient state and um, so you know we say see your strength and your bone health like a bank account and you need to invest in that bank account before you go into perimenopause if you go into perimenopause with an overdraft then it's going to be really difficult then to build that strength and that bone health up and um, you know it, it's much easier to top something up and maintain it than it is to then try and start from scratch and, and build when you're already then experiences experiencing the effects of being hormone deficient um yeah so exercise and um, you know good dietary choices um, are important as well. So, you know, we talk about um, trying to make sure our, our muscles are strong, um, but if you aren't getting adequate protein within your diet, then it's going to be really difficult to make those muscular changes or maintain those muscular changes as well. And so, you know, the advice is that women who are sort of peri-postmenopausal should be having protein with every meal and every snack. Um, obviously, that doesn't have to be meat. It can be, you know, yogurts. It could be plant-based proteins. 
Um, but and then every meal, they say, so you know, your three meals a day should be a fist-sized amount of protein. And, and I know that women often can be sort of guilty. They'll think, oh, I'm going to have loads of vegetables to keep myself fit and healthy and things, but maybe omit the protein. So, you know, dietary changes can be really important as well. Okay. So, yeah, lots of things <laughs> to prepare. Uh, yes. Yeah. Interesting, though. Interesting, because it's taking, obviously, a, a much wider approach to what we can, can do. And I often find it yeah. fascinating when you talk about many different concepts or topics or things and you find a lot of similarities within what we should be doing with our bodies yes. such as you know bone health and um you know gut health uh yes. gen general you know the, the the way that what we put into our bodies and the way we exercise our bodies and it has yeah. such wide-ranging uh, effects um so let's talk about that part of it that um obviously links predominantly to our listeners here at pilates 101 which is the exercise part of that. Um, yes. And um, for those of you that, that caught the Instagram live that I did with Pippa, you'll know that we touched on this as well. Um, but again, it's just um, resounded to me in hearing you talk. Um, when we talk about Pilates for anything, in this case, menopause, um, when I was uh, developing the osteoporosis program, and then again, when I was developing the scoliosis program, um, out of those two programs, one of the key things that really shone out to me when I was researching what was being delivered was so many people were doing somewhat standard mat-based exercises, but saying this is for osteoporosis or this is for scoliosis. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. That's not going to work because lying down on the mat just doing these exercises, for example, in a scoliotic spine isn't going to change the curve. You're just going to hold it there. So you have to think differently. Um, the same with obviously exactly. o- osteoporosis, you know, well, where are the main issues within it? There's three main fracture sites. Therefore, our exercises have to be based around those three main fracture sites. And that's not lying on your back doing a form of Pilates that every other person is doing. So let's talk about exactly. menopause and your concept of developing Pilates for menopause and you know what that actually involves. What does it look like? Yeah, so... You know, I've, I've done a lot of research around it and it's it's come from research and also personal experience then of, of working with this population group and, and finding how much Pilates was beneficial in helping my patients who were experiencing symptoms relating to the menopause and, and also, you know, people wanting to exercise but not really knowing how and where to start and, mm-hmm. and you know, giving them a safe space to exercise in and making it accessible and achievable. And, and then really that's where, you know, Pilates for me helped this population group because it made it accessible, it made it achievable and then that increases compliance um, and then obviously then increases the benefits of doing Pilates. So, you know, a lot of the, there is quite a bit of research around Pilates and the menopause and the effects that a Pilates program can have on um, sort of current menopausal symptoms. So especially things like stress, anxiety, sleep, you know, disturbances, um, quality of life factors, but then also on things like muscle strength. So lumbar strength and sort of uh, lower limb strength as well. 
Um, and and the, the, you know there is a, a good body of evidence that shows that a Pilates program, if done so that most of the studies they either do two to three 60 minute sessions of Pilates for 12 weeks, so every week for 12 weeks, and that showed a, a positive effect. And then with that, then I was starting to look into the exercise program and thinking, okay, well, that's really great, but I would probably expect that to happen anyway. So somebody exercises in any way then that's going to be great isn't it and they're going to have some good um outcomes but i wanted to try and nail down into what the actual exercises were that they used in that pilates program and um, and actually when i delved into it there was a little bit of standing work but a lot of it was predominantly mat based um but then again combining my sort of research into menopause and and you know clinical knowledge i then thought well if we're going to do Pilates we want to make sure we're getting the most for this group and that actually that exercise is going to be offering them the, the best for what they're doing um which is why then and you know obviously the osteoporosis course is fantastic and the the 3d standing Pilates mm-hmm. as well and um, sort of gave me a lot of inspiration if you like and then I, I thought well, how can I adapt those exercises and then target them to the needs of this population group? So really, we want to look at weight-bearing exercise. We want to look at strength exercises. We also want to look at balance work, mobility work, and then also including pelvic floor activation into that and functional pelvic floor activation. Um, and then that then led me much down, more down that sort of functional Pilates route and that standing base, but still being true to the principles of Pilates. So I think, you know, you can move, but maybe not move very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually it's about the cueing and using all of those, those feedback mechanisms that we can have to make sure somebody is moving well. So we're targeting those exercise you know those exercises to be specific to the muscle groups that we want to work and then apply the forces onto the bones that we want to strengthen and and doing you know that's how it all sort of came about um and it's you know then adding in that resistance from either the bands or you know light weights because yes we want to do resistance work and strength work and you know yes there is a, a some research there that says you want to lift heavy and and that is true but equally like i say it's got to be achievable it can't be you know some of these people are starting from a very low baseline and actually you want to make it so that then the strength work is still achievable um, and that's where you know you, your principles of strength and conditioning come in so it's got to be specific for what we wanted to do and we want to create overload to you know influence those muscle changes and adaptations but we don't want to be um, you know, overloading so much that we cause burnout or injury. Um, and again, that's why then for me, Pilates is such a lovely way to get that strength work in for this population group because it can be safe, achievable, but still really, really challenging as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's sort of the underpinning, if you like, for the the Pilates um, for menopause work that I have put together with my exercises um, and then also then on top of that there's the mindfulness which helps to address more of those sort of psychological symptoms related to menopause as well okay okay well that that's interesting. do you in- incorporate uh, or touch on the mindfulness stuff then with, with your menopause clients because we spoke um, yes. to Hannah on the last podcast about mindfulness and um, 
you know, there's been a lot of interest around uh, that podcast and her mindfulness course, but that carries over into the work you do from a menopause point of view as well. A hundred percent, yeah. So, you know, there is a lot of evidence to show that mindfulness or, you know, things like CBT are really useful for this population group in helping to manage, you know, some of those symptoms such as um, anxiety or um, stress. You, You know, there are those big stress changes, one that occur with the menopause, but just occur with aging anyway. This group of of women, they're at a very stressful time in their lives often because they've got maybe children that still need them. Um, You know, they're older, but they still need them. They've got aging parents to look after. They're still working. Um, And the evidence shows that mindfulness can really help with those stress-related factors Um, and breath work as well. So doing a lot of breathing work. Um, So I always try and incorporate definitely breathing work and mindful practice into if I'm doing a one hour class then the last 10 minutes will tend to always be breathing work or mindfulness and and part of the reason I do that is because they the people in my class they've made that commitment to come to class and this is their time it's their protected time so it gives them an opportunity to actually be able to do that mindful practice and that breath work. You know, they know they need to do it. They know that it'll help them, but maybe they're so busy that they can't find that time to do it. So by doing it within my class, I'm then affording and protected time to be able to do that. And then often that they do the mindfulness work at the end and they're like, Oh my gosh, I feel so much better. And then actually they think, well, I can find five minutes maybe to just work through that mindful exercise that we've just done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely always try and include it in my classes and one-to-ones as well. Yeah, interesting. And so on that concept, so you are looking at, uh, from a Pilates for menopause concept, you're looking at it from both individual one-to-one work and group exercise work. Yes, definitely. So I do it a lot in my one-to-one work, um, especially if that's sort of, a lot of the symptoms that they are explaining or, or if I think it's a barrier to their exercise or a barrier to us moving forward sometimes they come in and they're so stressed and so hyped up and, and you know there's got so much on the plate and actually I'll sometimes do it at the beginning of a session and just to get people sort of in the room in the zone and ready to exercise to get the most from what we're doing and um, but as I say in my class situation I tend to do that at the end because if I did it at the beginning everyone would just stay asleep for the beginning but I tend to do it at the end then (laughs) okay great um so look I'm I'm gathering and again from the Instagram live we did having had the course run this last weekend as well the concepts here that we've been talking about in terms of the understanding menopause the research behind Pilates and menopause and then the exercises and how you put it together is is what is all gone over on in the in the course i assume exactly yeah that's what we cover so you know um we cover a lot of the sort of um you know the actual pathophysiology behind the menopause and understanding the different phases of menopause and and not just focusing equally on you know there is perimenopause postmenopause but also discussing those women who might have had an induced menopause so such as a surgical um you know menopause from a hysterectomy or um, there are unfortunately there's i think it's one in a thousand women will experience something called premature ovarian insufficiency which is where the unfortunately their ovaries are 
not functioning um, at the level that they need to be. And that happens before the age of 40. Um, so, you know, it isn't just women who are maybe of that sort of perimenopause, postmenopausal age. Unfortunately, it can happen in, in younger women as well. Um, and, you know, this becomes even more pertinent to them because they might be living with those hormone deficiencies for much longer um, and having more effect their bodies as well so we cover a lot of that um, and then we cover a lot about we, we do talk about hormone replacement therapy um, just to give an understanding of that and, and that's a very big topic and again you could probably do a podcast for days on that <laughs> um, in itself um, but we do talk about that so that people because it's important people will ask you questions you know if you're yeah. saying that you're doing a class for menopause people will ask you questions around HRT um, and then we look at um you know, the, the evidence for exercise in general for uh, for menopause and looking at why we're needing to exercise because of the longer term implications of, of living in that hormone deficient state. Um, and then we talk about Pilates and, and then why we, you know, work to which exercises we're going to choose and also talk very much about programming of exercise as well so making sure that exercise is specific so if you're working on a one-to-one -one point of view is that exercise that you're asking somebody to do and when you're giving it to that client is that going to be enough or is it going to be too much for that person to make those positive changes in strength um and positive changes within say balance or you know whatever it is that you're wanting to work on making sure that the exercise is tailored to the, those needs and looking at sort of more of your programming and exercise prescription and especially then relating that to the sort of menopausal client um, you know so it's things like if you're going to do a strength training session um, with a which is a Pilates focus then really you want to be leaving at least 48 to 72 hours between doing another session for strength and um, because of the deficiency in estrogen you need to allow longer for recovery and rest and recovery to take place otherwise you're just going to overtrain and create burnout and not actually have any beneficial effects so yeah it's looking at not just doing your class or just doing your one-to-one -one, but that longer term exercise prescription for your client as well wow okay and you get through all that in a day <laughs> yeah, we did it was it was full on yeah. it was <laughs> do you know i have all these ideas in my head and then i um and I've written them all, you know, obviously put them all into this course. Um, but it yeah. did, it worked, it, we did get through and then we got through. Um, and it, there is a very big practical element then to the course as well. And I think, you know, we've got the lecture at the beginning, but what I've tried to do is obviously build the, the you know, the bare bones of it. And then through your exercises is when I add like the meeting and okay. start sort of layering that on so okay. that then it's not just so much lecture in the morning and then practical it sort of give you the basis but then we build on that and layer it through the day so that it's not too much to take in <laughs> good 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 very good well look um uh of course guys any of you that are out there that have not yet uh booked on to the course hopefully this gives you a bit more information but the point of today is more about just generally understanding menopause and using your expertise to just give us you know some thought-provoking ideas for us in the pilates community to have a think about this as a concept and how we might uh, engage with it and understand it more. Um, but look, let's let's finish off, um, Pippa. The thing on these podcasts that people also are fascinated in is is the journeys that people such as yourself have gone on. So, 
you touched on there at the beginning that um, you know you came from a sort of you know healthcare family with your your father as a sports yeah. doc and your mum as a physio, um, and you had a dance background and you went into effectively dance medicine, which um, you know is something very close to Elisa's heart. Um, but then one thing that I'm interested in, and this is where you get a lot of questions and a lot of people get very interested in this, is you've been one of those brave people that have also made the step across to running your own business. Yes. What, what was that like for you? You've, you've you know, been in, in a somewhat secure type environment and then you and your husband have decided to do your own thing. Talk us through that process. Yeah, so again, it, it, I don't know. I, I'm sure a lot of people are in a similar situation from a Pilates point of view, but I, I did my, obviously my APPI training and then um, s- sort of started my classes in, in the hospital environment, you know, and, and that was fantastic. But then when we moved to South Wales, I, I basically thought, oh, well, you know, it'd be nice to set up a class. I'll just set up one class because I wasn't running any in the hospital I was working in. So I set up this one class and then that one class became two classes and that two classes became three classes. And then before I knew it, I was doing six to seven classes a week because once people start your class and your course, then you know you get people who are on that course and and then they don't want to not come on the next course so then you end up setting up a new class because you've got a waiting list of people or they want to bring a friend along and so it kind of just happened that the pilates my pilates business if you like expanded um from that side of things and and then it was that sort of scary step between well now i'm doing quite a lot of work in the hospital and i'm also running quite a lot of classes as well and um, and then I guess for me because my husband's a physio as well we did have that maybe security that if we were going to do some more physio based work we were working together so I felt a little bit more safe because actually you know we were there and, and in it together um, and yeah so then we kind of made that decision I would drop my hours in the hospital and so I went down to sort of three days a week in the hospital um, to really then try and focus a little bit more and, and give me more time to, to sort of put into my Pilates work and also then to give me the ability to see patients um, as well. Um, and yeah, it, it was sort of a scary process, but actually now I could probably, if I wanted to think, oh, well, we I could just go fully private, um, as in not working in the hospital. But for me, I do, I, I love my Pilates classes and I love working privately. I love the flexibility that that affords me and the sort of autonomy um, of maybe being in charge of what I do and um, how long I have with my clients and so on and so forth. But I do also really value being part of a team um and and being part of that wider hospital network and especially from my pelvic health point of view um because i'm fortunate i work in a private hospital um so it is we do have more luxuries maybe than than in an nhs setting and i work very closely with the consultants and um, so i would really miss their input and also that ability that I can literally just nip out of my clinic room and walk to their clinic room and knock on the door and say oh I've just got such and such in with me and we need to do this this and this Uh, you know and then getting their expertise as well so I think I will always keep an element of working within that multidisciplinary environment Um, but um, I do also love working for myself and 
with my husband most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, well, look, while you, you've got everyone's attention, um, why don't you tell us a little bit more in terms of details of, of your practice? What's it called? What's your website? Give it a little plug while you're um, here. So, yeah, our business is called CPP Wellbeing which stands for Carter's Physiotherapy and Pilates. Um, and that's our website. So it's www.cppwellbeing.com. Um, and yeah, if anyone is in South Wales and wants to come and see us, then I'd be more than happy um, yeah. to see anybody um, or, or anyone to get in touch with me. And, and you know, I, I say this on all of my courses as well. I'm I love developing a network of people. I love having, you know, people that I can talk to or, you know, also helping people as well. So, you know, if people are stuck with anything or they want advice, then I'm always more than happy for people to drop me an email and, and, and ask advice. And, you know, I might not get back straight away to people, but I definitely <laughs> will get back to them at some point. Be, ca- be um, careful, Pippa. You could have hundreds of responses coming exactly. in now. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. So yeah, it does take its up. That's like I say from my courses, um, and I've you know from the courses I've taught, I've you know developed some really good relationships, and I think that's important across network as well. You know, now we're living in a world that's much smaller, isn't it? And mm. you know, if I have a patient or a client who needs to go and see somebody somewhere else in the country or in wherever, then it's nice to know that you're sending them to somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, and yeah. so that's always really good as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so guys, hope you enjoyed that. I certainly found it um, a very, very interesting conversation. I'm continuing to learn more and more myself. Um, So please do um, let us know uh, if you have interest in our Pilates for Menopause course, you want to bring it to your facility or anything like that, let us know and we can help you out there. Um, Just that last little cut off there, Pippa's um, Instagram handle is PhysioPippa. You can find her on Instagram and you can find them at their website that she mentions there as well. So look, that's it from me for this month, guys. Uh, Wishing you all the very best of health and success in your studios, clinics, physio businesses, Pilates businesses um, around the world. If you haven't uh, joined us yet for conference. It's available to everyone around the world. So please do, guys, have a, a think about joining us. Uh, November 20th, 21st, pre-con on November the 19th, the Posturite course by APPI Master Trainer Sarah Chambers, which is all about dealing with the postural dysfunctions that have happened with everyone working from home for almost two years. Um, the conference will be amazing. I'll see you there for my sessions. I'm doing a Pilates and Pain theory-based discussion, and I am doing hip control on the reformer, and a all-new ab session that I'm eagerly working my way out so I can get through it as well. (laughs) All right, guys. Look, great to speak to you. Hopefully, you enjoyed the podcast, and I will see you guys next month. Bye for now.